This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Bogner, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. My guest on the podcast today, uh, it was in the news this week, uh, Adam Avery of Avery Brewing, Boulder, Colorado. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thanks, Jamie. Cool. Glad we could finally get this conversation. We've been talking about it for months and months and months all through the fall. We talked about it again at the uh, Big Beers uh, at the, uh, the uh, calibration dinner. And uh, now it's April and we're finally getting the conversation done. First, I want to tell you, as the uh, brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and dedication to their customers' craft for 25 years. G&D has led the way on custom, innovative solutions that match brewing customers' immediate and future needs. Thinking outside the box, whether it's a simple relocation of the utility connections for a complex buildup or ground-level design and engineering, G&D is ready to meet the challenge. Contact G&D Chillers today. For your chiller sizing needs at 1-800-555-0973 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. Also, the founders of SS Brewtech launched with a very clear goal to advance brewing equipment design, performance, and quality to the very highest standards in the industry. With a team that draws upon strong functional backgrounds in brewing science, mechanical engineering, industrial design, supply chain, and manufacturing, SS Brewtech has the people and skill sets you need and expect from your supplier of professional brewing equipment. Head over to ssbrewtech.com for more information on their brew houses and brewing gear. Cool. Before we start our conversation, I also want to mention next week on the podcast, we have a crazy podcast tap takeover. I guess it's a podcast takeover where uh, Neil Fisher of Weldworks Brewing and Corey King of Side Project Brewing are just going to take over, uh, lead the conversation amongst themselves. I'm going to back right out of it and just let them go for it. So uh, that'll be a fun one. And we'll also be celebrating the fifth anniversary next week of Craft Beer and Brewing magazine and craft beer and brewing the business. Uh, we had our launch party April uh, 8th at CBC in Denver in 2014 as we had the first issue of the magazine out. And so, hey, next week is that five-year anniversary. Kind of fun. We're excited about it. If you are coming to CBC, come out and see us. We actually have a trade show booth this year, booth 20089. Um, you know, we'll be manning it. We'll be hosting some podcasts out of the booth at uh, CBC right there on the floor. Um, speaking of the podcast, we also hit another milestone on it uh, this week. We hit our one millionth download of the podcast. So somehow or another, people have downloaded our podcast over a million times. Kind of kind of fun. Kind of cool. I don't know what that means. I, you know, uh, maybe it's just something arbitrary. But here we are, a million downloads later, people are listening and caring about what we do. And uh, then the other news for us this week is that uh, if you are a subscriber to Beer Advocate Magazine, you have become a subscriber to Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Uh, yeah, they uh, reached a point where they decided they needed to wind down their magazine. And uh, you know, so we started talking with them about how we can make sure that that process went smoothly for their subscribers. And so we want to welcome to Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine uh, the tens of thousands of Beer Advocate subscribers who have now become craft beer and brewing subscribers. Uh, you know, I think it's a it's great in this industry of craft beer to be able to work together, help each other out, um, you know, help businesses uh, focus on what they need to focus on. They felt they needed to focus on events and the website. We, uh, you know, are uh, heavy into our, our publishing strategy and uh, it's been good for us. And so, hey, you know, it worked out well and here we are. So that's our news. Now let's talk about 
you, okay. Adam. Hey, first, uh, congrats on those milestones. I want to ask you, uh, I'll ask the first question of the interview. Uh, oh, wait, you're interviewing me. You, you can ask. Uh, wh- which number, which milestone is more important to you, that million downloads or that five years of doing business? You know, I, I think things like a million downloads are pretty arbitrary. But uh, when we look back at it, you know, we started this uh, this business and we came out of another media business. My partner, uh, John Bolton, and I, who founded the business, um, who you met actually as we were talking to you for our very first issue of Craft Beer and Brewing. We had uh, Adam Avery's cellaring tips in that very first issue. And I remember... And you're still in business. We're still Amazing. here. Amazing. <laughs> you really turned that into something. <laughs> But, you know, but speaking of that, I appreciate the fact that uh, you would even uh, take our call and uh, give us the time, and you did, and we tasted some some historic vintage beers uh, and some really old, fun stuff um, at uh, the old brewery in the alley. And uh, here we were, young upstarts, getting into to beer media, and you paid attention to us, and I appreciate that. Here we are, five years later. We're here and, uh, uh, and still around, and, you know, we've tried to stay focused with what we do on, on media that helps people get better at what they like to do. Congrats. Thanks. Thanks. Hopefully, you know, we'll be around five, 10, 15 more years. People support us and subscribe to craft beer and brewing magazine and keep listening to the podcast. And uh, we'll be able to keep doing what we do. Hey man, craft beer needs you keep doing the good job. We're all in this together. Yep. So you're in the news this week, Adam, yep. um, with a, with another big business move. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, how that arc has played out over the last uh, you know two years. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, you've sold an, a, an additional stake in the in the business to uh, uh, founders and Mahu San Miguel, who already had a thirty percent investment in the business, and now they control a majority stake of the business. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about how you got to that point, and uh, you know, and, and what has why you felt the need to, to bring on some partners like that to align with uh, in today's craft beer market? Well, I think, uh, you know, I, what has it been? It's probably about three years ago. Um, we decided, Dad and I, that uh, looking for some partners, I mean, we had a lot of people calling us. Sure, you know, like, sure. And all of a sudden, we, we, we've always said, we said, no, no, we're good. You know, we like doing what we're and doing. And this is happening to breweries of all scale. I mean, I know, you know, breweries with three, 5,000 barrel breweries where, you know, there's always somebody sniffing around that wants to at least talk about something you know, to have to do with acquisition, merger, et cetera. And so you got pretty good at ignoring, I guess, some of those uh, approaches. Well, I did for a time. And yeah. then we got to a point where it's like, you know, you, you, you think, well, you know, maybe, you know, in the future it might be, you know, something to think about. Um, and so, you know, we got some people uh, who could kind of put um, some people in front of us. And, you know, we talked to a lot of different people, you know, um, big breweries, uh, private equity, um, small family trust, things like that. I mean, like we talked to a lot of people with, yeah. who are looking to invest in, you know, what is a growing, emerging, you know, industry. Right. And um, so, yeah, we took our time and we, we didn't go into it thinking that the end game was going to be having a partner. Right. But it was like, hey, if the perfect partner showed up on our doorstep and we got along and we had the right conversations and we had the right kind of, uh, you know, synergies, you know, the way, you know, the, 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 you know, the way that we think about life and the way that we think about business, then why not, you know? Yeah. And, um, so we talked to a lot of people and, you know, luckily, um, the Mal folk, 
you know, uh, showed up and they liked us and we liked them. And, you know, we, we dated, you know, for, for almost a year, I would say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, because there's a lot of, you know, uh, information to be shared and, um, you want to make sure that, you know, you're, you're getting married to the right person yeah. and, uh, you want to do it, you know, one time you want to do it the right way. And so we took our time and, you know, um, so far it's been an unbelievable ride, you know? So there, you know, there are a few reasons that, uh, you know, the brewers and now, you know, you've come out of this and you've been in this game for a, a decades, 26 at this point, years. 26 years, you know, you got started in the nineties and you've just, you know, kind of pushed through. And so you've seen craft beer go through a lot of different phases. You know, you've, uh, you know, you started pretty small and, uh, you've, you know, worked your way up to where you are now. Uh, and you've been in the trenches for a really long time. Um, but for that generation of, of, of brewers that got started 26, 27, 30 years ago, uh, we're starting to see a lot of questions about um, longevity, but, but uh, uh, you know, transition strategy and how businesses get maintained over the long run. You know, 26 years into any business, you know, for any entrepreneur that's starting something up from the ground gets to be, you know, you're in the same business for 26 years, you want to do something new. You don't want to necessarily do this until you die. You want to be able to enjoy some of the work that you've done. Um, you know, how does that feed into, you also don't necessarily have, you know, a next generation of family to hand a business down to, um, that's going to take over for you. So how does that thinking about how this business continues on in the future for the next 26 years, figure into some of your thought around finding some partners to work with on this? Well, I mean, certainly I don't have kids and I, I don't plan on having kids. So there's, there isn't that next generation. Um, so yeah, I mean, part of this. ESOPs are not necessarily the golden solution now that some of the growth rates of, you know, have decreased in craft beer. You know, I, there's, I, I, you know. I wouldn't say that they do or don't work because I've never done them. Um, right. I know they're complicated um, and seemingly on the outside, they look good. Um, but there's, there, there are pressures under the business by, you know, by doing an ESOP. So. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my thing is like, yeah, I don't have kids or whatever, but like I have 155, you know, um, uh, guys and gals that I come to work with every day and, um, you know, I feel a responsibility to them and their families. Sure. And so when you look at the longevity, you look where the business is going, not just our business, but the industry in general, um, craft beer, isn't a small business anymore. It's right. not like the way that I, when I started, it was, you know, a, you know, a, I don't know how many breweries there were when we started four or 500 or something like that, but it's simply a different business now and it's only going to get bigger and we all see that. And so, you know, we want to be competitive, you know, and we want to give, uh, you know, our employees and and coworkers every opportunity to be successful. And so finding the right business partner, the people who are on the same kind of arc as we are, um, was really important. So the fact that, you know, Mao has been brewing beer for 128 years was, I mean, certainly that was a you're checking one of the big boxes, which is passion for, you know, like-minded passion, which is beer, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. cause we're beer first, the rest will follow. I mean, that's our credo and like, and they're like-minded in that way. It's like, we're not trying to make any other things or, you know, we're not, we're not diving into, you know, other, you know, products and stuff. We're about beer. I mean, that's what we make. Yeah. And you know, this is, it's not uncommon in the market right now where we are seeing, you know, you could look at everything from, you know, Duval. And Boulevard and Firestone Walker, Omegon, um, Artisanal Beverage Ventures, Southern Tier, and a Six Point Victory. Um, now Ninkasi, you know, is apparently pursuing the same kind of strategy. There seems to be among you know this kind of larger scale, fifty thousand barrel plus, you know, regional brewery, 
an understanding and a need for more efficiency in order to be able to be profitable and be able to you know produce the kinds of things you want and sell it you know to the, the folks that are interested in that rather than all of these businesses at this scale operating their own separate sales staff their own separate you know uh, uh, you know there there ha- you know distributor relationships and whatnot. Um, but it even, you know, I even see that on a smaller scale, you see a lot of small self-distributing breweries that are operating their own trucks when, if they were partnering with other self-distributing breweries could be much more efficient in managing costs around that kind of thing. Um, you know, that is a big issue I think in craft beer right now is focusing on the kinds of efficiencies that allow craft beer to be profitable, which is producing the highest quality product, but at a price that a consumer is willing to pay. Um, and when you find those efficiencies, you can actually spend more time focusing on that quality than you are focusing on how to sell it to those people. Or, or concentrating on telling your story as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and one of the other things that you're, you know, that you mentioned a lot of uh, the synergies that you can have, but also just, you know, producing beer, you know, um, as far as four other breweries. Um, and I think that that's going to be a model going yeah. forward as well, for sure. Yeah. Having more, you know, of a brewing hub, you know, mm-hmm. um, and having, you know, different breweries brewing out of it. I think you're going to see a lot more of that as well. Why? Um, because then you can you can have um, you can you can maintain a, a quality standard um, that the other breweries, smaller breweries, might not be able to attain. Um, you can brewing sink more on the same amount of equipment allows you to invest more heavily in the the, the elements that let you produce that quality. But it also what. Puts it closer to the consumer and shorten shipping times and all of that, all, all of that, all of that, and the above. Yeah, for sure. You know, but that raises an interesting question. You know, that there's this idea of you know, quote unquote, authenticity. You know, driving the craft beer world, and you know, for a lot of folks now, you know, breweries like Oscar Blues and Canarchy have kind of you know helped consumers move past that notion. Um, you know that uh, that somehow the beer isn't that brand if it's not made in this one specific place by these you know specific people. Uh, I look at it from our perspective as a magazine, like we don't run the printing presses that print our magazine, but is it still our magazine? Of course it is, um, you know, because it's our creative, our creativity and our direction and our preparation and producing that so that the press can produce it, you know, to the standard that we uh, expect them to, you know, and, and, and it's our magazine's result. But within craft beer, there's, you know, there has historically been a little bit of a different understanding about that. As far as being authentic right. in, in, in the way you're brewing the beer, well, I think that people are going to get over that. And I think that what it's going to come down to is the same thing that you're looking for is, you know, you want a quality magazine. And like if you had to buy a printing press to make that happen, would you be more authentic if you had actually run that printing press yourself and had a, a, a lesser quality, you know, uh, outcome? And I think that that's what our industry is moving towards is the understanding that quality equals quality, right? I mean, local doesn't equal quality. Small doesn't equal quality. Big doesn't equal quality. I mean, qual- quality is quality. I mean, like it's either the beer is top notch and tastes the same every time. So um, a lot of breweries can produce, you know, high quality beer occasionally, you know, and a lot of time, but, you know, producing high quality beer 100% of the time or 99% of the time or whatever you're shooting for is ultra difficult um, because you need to have the equipment. You need to have then really what you need to have is the expertise of the people who know how to run that equipment. And those are all expensive propositions. Um, and so 
being able to solidify that kind of those kind of resources into you know one hub or two hubs or three hubs and then brew out of them i think that that's the future you know i think that that's the way that this uh, our industry will will grow um for instance i i just see it as smaller breweries instead of taking the leap that you know dad and i took or whoever has taken and to build a big brewery i think that more are going to be looking at it and saying hey either i'm going to stay ultra small and you know produce beer for a very regional a city a couple city blocks or, or whatnot or hey if i want to expand instead of like putting my neck on the line or you know going out to the bank or going to find investors Maybe it's easier just to go find some capacity at, you know, a, a top quality brewery that you trust and they can brew some beer for us. And, you know, do you lose authenticity there? Uh, you know, if you're if your goal in brewing beer is to make the best beer that you possibly can and quality is is your, your job one. Shouldn't you be brewing your beer on systems that can provide that for you and provide it for your for your customers and your fans? That makes sense. And that capacity question, I think, is one that, um, you know, craft beer has to wrestle with at some level. You know, I, every year at CBC, um, uh, Bart Watson and, uh, and Paul Gatzko, you know, and, you know, talk about the ongoing, you know, growth in capacity and the gap, you know, in capacity between what brewers can produce and what they do produce. I think last year that gap was something like 40%, that the craft brewers had the capacity, they had invested the capital in brew house equipment to brew 40% more beer than they were actually producing. Well, you know, that's that's highly inefficient from an economic standpoint uh, to have that much excess capacity. And yet, you know, still brewers are spending hundreds of thousands or millions and millions of dollars on more brewing capacity, despite the fact that that, you know, that much capacity exists out there in the market. It sounds like what you're saying, you know, would eventually, you know, potentially lead to a much more efficient use of existing capacity if more brewers took advantage of using other uh, that capacity at other breweries rather than simply building out new equipment themselves. Uh, I couldn't have said it better. You know, I mean, it's exactly what it is. I mean, and, and I'm that guy as well. You know, we have excess capacity here as well. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, especially, you know, uh, five years ago, like when we started this project, um, there was a lot of blue sky. Um, there's, there still is a ton of blue sky out there. Um, but you know, the, the market has definitely changed, you know, in the last five years, hell in the last two years, it's changed quite a bit. Um, and so certainly there's, there's a ton of capacity out there. There's no doubt about it. Um, especially in, you know, I think medium sized breweries to, you know, larger breweries. Um, and so there are opportunities. Um, I think there are opportunities on both ends, you know, like there's opportunities like I was talking about for the small brewer to be able to capitalize some, some, you know, existing area capacity. Um, and then obviously for the producer themselves, you know, obviously filling in that capacity is good for the bottom line. Let's talk about that blue sky in a moment. Um, you know, but first great beers are made from select ingredients with BSG. You'll bring the world to your brew house with an unparalleled and diverse selection of ingredients from across the globe to just down the road. Their dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need every step of the way. Let BSG be your supplier of choice for products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. For more information, visit them at bsgcraftbrewing.com or call 1-800-374-2739. Also, this episode is brought to you by craftbeer.com, whose mission is to tell the stories behind America's small and independent breweries and the cities and businesses that support them. 
So you mentioned Blue Sky. I mean, I think there's this narrative out there in beer right now that, uh, you know, even though we're seeing three three to four percent growth uh, in volume and uh, even more revenue growth, that somehow the sky is falling. And, uh, you know, and, you know, so to come out and say that you do think that there is Blue Sky and other potential growth ahead, you know, sounds interesting to me. Where do you where do you think that is? And, uh, you know, how do you as a business, uh, you know, look for that? to why is there blue sky? I, you know, I, I mean this business, I mean, I've been in it for 26 years and there's been big ups. Yeah. There's been some big downs and there's been some flatness and there's been, so, I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's just a cycle, you know? Yeah. And like, so, but I truly believe that the people that I know in the industry and pretty much, well, I think that probably a lot of people that I don't know are in it for the right reasons. Um, I mean, we're really passionate about what we do. Um, I, I think that, you know, people's love for beer is, you know, you can see it, you know, you can look at all the Nelson reports and blah, blah, blah. But like, I mean, I don't think beer is going anywhere. I mean, it's not going to disappear. You know, I think it's up to us to make sure that we are an energized industry, the beer industry in general, um, to make sure that people still, you know, we want people to drink beer, right? I mean, right. We, we need to pay the bills and we need to, you know, make beer. So um, I, I just see it as a cycle. And I think that we'll come out of this, you know, stronger than we were before for the reasons that we were just talking about. I think that the industry is definitely evolving. And, I, you know, I don't have the roadmap. My partner, Mal, we don't have a roadmap. It's a super fluid industry. And it, we, especially we can see that in the last, you know, few years who would have thought that there would be 7,500 breweries, you know, if you told me that, you know, five years ago, would I have built this brewery? I don't know. You know, I can't go back in time, Jamie, but, uh, I I had, you know, my, my crystal ball was, uh, you know, cloudy on that aspect. Um, so no, I, I think that, I think that the quality, the quality, I mean, so what's going to happen is that, you know, I, I still believe that quality wins out. Um, I think that overall that, um, the quality of the beer in America will continue to rise. Um, and so if you put out a quality product, um, super flavorful, um, and then this local aspect of things, um, I think that, that there's a, a ton of blue sky. There's a, there's still a lot of, you know, quote, uh, yellow fizzy beer <laughs> to, 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 you know, to, uh, to, to eat into, um, and, uh, is that battle though really salient these days? You know, I, I mean, I, it hasn't craft beer pretty much already won all of that that battle that was out there, and isn't it now really just about how you can create some interest and excitement or consistency with with consumers? I mean, it just it seems like aligning in that kind of us versus them mentality is is kind of run its course. Well, I don't think it's us versus them necessarily. And I say that because now you're aligned with someone who does make, you know, some some standard lagers and sells them in uh, in large volumes through Europe. And so, you know, I mean, it's not the. But interestingly enough, uh, you know, they've got a big push in their uh, at their facilities to make barrel aged beers, to make, you know, double box, to make IPAs and things like that. So. Um, while it's not us versus them, because we need beer to do well, you know, overall for all of us to, you know, to do well. Um, I, I think that there's a push towards making more flavorful things, right. um, m- more things that have more depth uh, to them. And believe me, I, I drink my fair share of, you know, quote, you know, yellow fizzy beer. I mean, I, I love those things. Um, but I think that we can introduce more flavorful beers to uh, to about a swatch a swatch of, of people um and and hopefully they'll come on to you know the craft side of things into just you know a bigger bigger more flavorful stuff 
that does make sense. If if you know the the stats hold true, where um, the Brewers Association's stats of thirteen percent of beer you know volume right now is craft beer, you're right. That's a lot of lot more people that uh, you know could be exposed to flavorful beer and you know some adventure there. I think that's you know to me where some of the danger in this doom and gloom narrative really lies, and that uh, you know there are plenty of folks that that. I mean, people have been predicting the demise of craft beer since there were 2,000 breweries in, you know, in 2012 or 2013. Like, you know, this, this, the bubble is going to burst thing has been out there for at least the the last five years. It was out there when we started our magazine and, uh, you know, 5,000 breweries ago, uh, still hasn't burst. And I think, um, you know, and so I find it interesting to see that, uh, you know, that, that narrative still, you know, uh, finds, uh, fans and support out there, even though it has the craft beer has defied those naysayers over and over again. Even even with the le- latest uh, you know uh, Brewers Association numbers, the closures of breweries were, were actually slower this year or in 2018 than than they should have been. Had the same statistical number held true that is held true for the last five years. And we've I've looked at those numbers. It's been a five percent closure rate. Like the number of breweries that close every year has been at about five percent of the overall brewery number, for and it's been five percent for the last five years in a row. Somehow it dropped to three percent in 2018. Um, and so I expected at least 275 breweries to close, and I think the number was something like 219. Um, you know, the, it, it seems to be defying all of that doom and gloom logic. But for good, that, uh, you know, if consumers were to somehow glom onto that craft beer is falling apart narrative that some people want to put out there, then it would be a less interesting or exciting category for today's drinkers. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I was just soapboxing. No, no, no. <laughs> so so that's on the on the, the kind of the, the negative bottom end. And then I would say that the thing that the reason why I feel like craft beer is here to stay or, you know, or however you want to define, you know, what we're doing here, um, is how do you define it? Well, well, no, no. First, can you come back to that one? Because I I will answer that. But, um, what, what I see it as is like, think of all the people who are this big money that's coming into it. So like you talk about like, well, you know, is it us versus them? And then you got ABI, you know, you know, buying up some really nice craft breweries, you know, and, and, and building a division at the high end on that side, Miller Coors is doing the same thing. And then you've got a ton of private equity, you know, going in big. And I think that that's, you're going to see, a, I, I don't have, again, I don't have a crystal ball, but if I were to like, if I had my drill, I would think that it's going to continue to happen because there are a lot of great breweries, a lot of good business models out there. Um, and I, People who want to invest, they want to invest in things that actually work. And so when you talk about a brewery that's 26 years old like we are or breweries that are 10 or even 15 years old who are doing well, I mean, people are interested in that. You know, people who have money are like, we need a place to invest our money. And, you know, why not in craft beer? Because, I mean, it ha- it's, it's, it, I think it's a fairly proven commodity. Um, and I, and I, and I, and you know, I'm not trying to devalue it by calling it a commodity, but like when you start thinking about the people who are putting money into craft beer, they're not necessarily guys like me or you who are, who are home brewers and doing that. They're money people. Like, I mean, they're right. in it to make money for other people. Right. And so when you start seeing that kind of, you know, money coming into our industry, some people would say, well, that's a bad thing. And I would say, well, it maybe, you know, in, you know, if you're thinking about, oh, craft and authenticity and all those things, but if you're looking at for longevity and survival, um, it's a good thing. 
it's a good thing. It's for, you know, we're, we're growing up, you know, as a business. I mean, I, I started as a home brewer. I would never have been, I would never have thought I'd be sitting in this brewery that we're in, you know, even up until like six or seven years ago, I would, yeah. I would have called you crazy if you said I was going to have a brewery like this. But yet, you know, here I sit and, you know, it's not all the work that I did. It's guys like you running a magazine. It's, you know, craft beer fans and all these things that happen, have to happen in order for us to, you know, to be successful. And then sometimes as an owner, you have to say, well, what's, you know, what's the next step? You know, how can we continue this success stream um, and, and, and build a better life for, you know, our employees and, um, and make better beer? I mean, that's what it comes down to is we built this brewery. You know, we took on a lot of debt. People are like, why'd you do it? To make more beer? And I'm like, no, I, hopefully that's the outcome. But we really built a brewery to make a better quality beer. And that's why we have all the equipment that we have here. So we're trying to pay it off. So, you know, and I think another thing that gets lost both to beer fans and to, you know, to other folks that aspire to launch their own breweries is, is just how stressful that shit can be for you. Like here you are taking on, and you took on over $20 million in debt to build out this plant. Um, you know, because to be perfectly honest, debt is really cheap these days. You know, the money is cheap. And so taking that out, paying interest on it, you know, it's, it's pretty manageable as long as you're growing and can continue to, you know, uh, pay that debt off. Um, but that had to, give you some sleepless nights there in that process, looking at what you were committing to in the, in the future and just how much stress that may have created for you. No doubt about it. I mean, dad and I have been in, you know, hundred percent since day one. So, I mean, we've always just like funneled back, you know, all, any, yeah. any money we made always went back into the brewery, even back in the alley. I mean, yeah. you know, while the alley wasn't beautiful, we definitely, we, we could, you know, we invested, you know, everything that we had basically right, right. ever made uh, into it. And so, Dad and I are always, we, we've always been all in. So we weren't necessarily worried about that. The number got bigger. I mean, it became kind of like, it felt like monopoly money, you know, at some yeah. point. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, you obviously, you know, you have a, a new partner um, and that partner is your bank and, you know, they want to get paid, you know, every month. Yeah. So yeah. there, there is, there's definitely a, a lot of stress uh, involved uh, with it. Um, luckily we can uh, sit at the bar and de-stress over you know, <laughs> our product. Sure. Sure. Um, do you ever look back at it now and think this wasn't the plan for this and how did I get here? Every single day. I mean, I, I just, you know, um, it's, we're, we're writing us. I mean, basically I tell my guys we're writing a novel and man, I don't even know. I used to know probably what it was going to be in the next chapter, you know, and now, you know, it feels like, you know, we're, you know, we're writing a page and we're not sure what the, at the end of that page is going to look like, um, in a good way, you know, like, because it's really, really, there's so many opportunities out there for us, um, especially with, you know, our new partners and then, you know, actually having Mike and Dave, you know, from founders being involved as well is very, very, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. So like to answer your question, no, you know, I, I would say that, you know, if you'd asked me, especially like, you know, 1993, would I be sitting here doing this interview with you? No way. You know, like I said, even six or seven years ago, would I be sitting in a brewery like this? No way. It all happened really, really fast, you know? And it, I mean, of course it's 26 years, but man, it, it really does seem like, you know, it's like a blink of the eye. And, you know, and here I am sitting here just going, Oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm, I have some, I have some new great partners. Um, you know, my beer has never tasted better. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. 
Uh, one of my favorite things that Steve Jobs ever said was uh, what defined Apple was not the products that they make, but it's the products that they didn't make. That uh, it was that editorial process of deciding, deciding what the right opportunities were and going after those opportunities that they could execute really well on um, and also create something unique in the marketplace and change, you know, change the market, the, define the company. For you at this kind of scale, how do you evaluate by looking at all of the potentials, you know, for, for innovation, for new products, for growth, and then winnow down into what makes sense for Avery as a business and how you move forward with that process of innovation that, uh, that should be what Avery does. Specifically, I, I got a couple of stories for you. So one is, is I've, you know, for 15 years, I believe. Yeah. And I'm saying that as we're drinking a 110 calorie hazy IPA. Right. right. Is that, <laughs> so we, we can talk about that one, but two in particular. So, uh, you know, for 15 years, I've wanted to do an electrolyte beer, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, my guys in the market and everybody's just like, that's, that's stupid, Adam, you know, and, and, and it was, you know, so like you're talking about like what you did, what products you did, but I think it's also about, and what I'm learning is that you might have an idea, uh, you know, that's way too ahead of its time, um, or isn't right for the time, um, like making maybe like making an IPA in 1996. I mean, like, I had my best friends who owned bars tell me to come back, pick up the kegs because they couldn't sell the beer. <laughs> the IPA. Right. And so uh, that's, you know, that's 20, that was 20 years right. ago, right? So um, obviously now IPAs are the biggest selling, you know, uh, beer or style for craft beer. So, um, but specifically, so the, the electric light IPA. So we started making an electrolyte, you know, IPA. Um, and, and now for 20 years, like literally, so about five years into the, into the brewery, I was drinking way too much. I mean, probably some people would say maybe I still drink too much, but um, I was a kid then, so I could handle it. So I was like, man, you know what would be the best right. thing? Because I love beer, and I love the flavor of beer. I don't necessarily need the alcohol necessarily, but I was like, if I could make an IPA that was non-alcoholic, that would be awesome. Because then I could have a breakfast beer. I could just have a beer whenever I wanted, you know, instead of having, you know, whatever, a, you know, a soda or whatever, you could have a NAIPA. And so I've wanted to do an NAIPA for 20 years. And so um, we are developing one right now hmm. with the help of our partners, Mal, because they've been making, you know, hundreds of thousands of hectoliters of, you know, non-alcoholic beer, right. which is huge in the world. I think in the world, it's like nearly 20% of the beer uh, production in the world is, is non-alcoholic. Really? Hmm. I think America is about 6%. Um, so it, it's coming. I think, you know, th that, that, that wave is coming. And so, you know, back to your question is like, yeah, I mean, like you, 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 you got to marry up your ideas with what will work. Um, and luckily a lot of those ideas for us in the past have worked, which is like, you know, an IPA way back in the day. Of course, you know, it was hard to sell an IPA in 96, but it eventually became a lot easier, right? I mean, like, it's, right. it's pretty easy now. I mean, you can't make a beer hoppy enough now. Um, you really can't uh, for people. So, and then, you know, the next wave for us was, you know, higher alcohol and big beers and then, it, you know, into barrel aging and these things. So um, you, you, you try to be the tip of the spear, but at some point, you know, you obviously you got to sell some beer as well. Um, but it's, I feel like we're doing a good job of staying true to like what we want to do. Um, and so to your point, like we're drinking this, you know, this low calorie hazy IPA and it's a super selfish uh, project because, you know, I'm 52 years old and, you know, I like to drink beer. Um, and so my I, I told the guys I challenged them. I was like, 
I want a super aggressively hoppy beer. I don't want it to be watery. Um, you know, I want it to be 100 calories. Um, and, you know, whatever alcohol content it is, it is. Um, but I want to drink a beer. I want it to be, first and foremost, a great hazy IPA um, that just so happens to have 100 calories. Yeah. Are there opportunities that you haven't followed up on because they weren't the right thing for Avery as a brand? Well, I think we've made so many beers, you know, and, you know, I mean, we've done, I guess, I guess that product of experimentation is like easy. You put it on, you brew once, put it on tap. People don't like it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. But I think that, you know, just like I mentioned that, you know, like an NA, you know, yeah. electrolyte, this better for you concept, which is, right. you know, trying to make, you know, uh, an alcoholic product that is, I mean, you can't say it's healthy for you, but right. like health, I guess better for you. I mean, it's a great way to describe it. Um, I think that that is the, that, that is a, that is the next wave, you know, and I think they were already seeing it. There's a lot of craft breweries putting out, uh, low calorie beers. Um, oh, they definitely are. And you've even seen Sierra Nevada, you know, purchasing Sufferfest, you know, the first acquisition that Sierra has ever made just for that same kind of purpose to have a better force quote unquote better for you. I'm going to throw big air quotes around that because it's all relative, I guess. Um, you know, I tend to prefer my electrolytes and electrolyte drink of some sort and then my beer after that. But, you know, I, I guess psychologically there is a, a, you know, a certain you know part of the market that is driven towards this kind of idea of drinking something that's better for them. I, I hope so. I mean, because yeah. because I mean, most every beer, every beer we've made has been I've been 100 percent behind it. Yeah. Um, and so we always try to brew true to ourselves and what we're trying to accomplish. And so, you know, that's what I said. Yeah. This, that beer in front of you right now is, it, it wouldn't be there except I'm being selfish. And I'm like, right. that's the beer that I want to do. I want to be able to call it out at a bar and know that I can have a couple beers and still drive or, you know, you know, drink several beers and feel good the next day. You've made some flyers on, on other categories of beer, which have, you know, turned out to be pretty successful for Avery, especially with barrel-aged beers. I remember, um, you know, a few years ago you would... Uh, well, I mean, I used to go line up in the alley and, and stand in line to go buy some barrel aged beers from Avery. Thanks for your money, Jamie. You're, <laughs> you're si- it, part of your money you're sitting in right now. <laughs> they were delicious. Totally worth <laughs> it. Um, you know, but I, I remember when you, you moved in here, you went from something like 250 barrels to 3000 barrels uh, of beer, a major, major investment, um, in a category of beer that no one really knew if it could grow that much, um, or if it would just be some giant folly, you know, uh, uh, you know, to go after that. Um, but it's proven relatively successful for you as a category, both in terms of keeping the Avery brand like exciting and uh, um, and also kind of setting a high end for that Avery brand. For sure, and and I think that barrel aging is you know the you know the the upper end of what we can do as brewers um, as far as like flavor. Um, flavor forward kind of things and the things that you can produce in a barrel are hard to replicate coming out of steel. Um, and like you said, it's expensive. Um, it's hard to do. Um, but I mean, we're passionate about it here and it definitely helps drive us, um, uh, as brewers. Um, but then also like you're talking about out in the market, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's a great way to uh, differentiate yourself from, you know, the 7,500 breweries that are out there. A lot of people do barrel aging, um, but you know, can you do it in mass? And more importantly, can you do it in a you know a super consistent way? Um, and that's what we're pretty proud of is to be able to put out you know uh, the same beer that tastes the same you know every single time. Um, 
that's hard to do. And you've also been kind of actively working to bring the price points of those down. I noticed, uh, you know, up at, uh, at Big Beers, you rolled out cans of, uh, of some of your barrel-aged sour beer and barrel-aged uh, coconut porter. Um, you know, talk to me about that impulse to go take that, those beers that have been formerly, you know, bomber beers, gold foil, you know, silver foil, green foil wrapped, you know, and with this kind of specialized branding and then, you know, making those more accessible to, uh, you know, to more consumers. Yeah. I mean, the, the beers were too occasional. Yeah. I mean, there, and I mean, I like to drink barrel aged beers all the time, you know? And so I, I just, we felt like people were like holding on to them for birthdays or like wait until somebody had to come over so they could split the 22 ounce bottle. And we just, we want people to enjoy them every day. And so we wanted to put it into a size and a format that screams, drink me. You know, and don't worry that, you know, there'll be more, you know, that's the thing. It's we'll like, make more. Yeah. right. But that's the funny thing is that, yeah. you know, so you ride that fine line between, you know, people wanting the whales they can only get occasionally. But my hope and, and what I think will, my, I'm, what I'm betting on is that people want to have things when they want to have them and they want to have them accessible um, and they want them to be made to be consumed, you know, like not. So, yeah. So we yeah. went to a 16 ounce a can for um, for our, so they're barrel aged 16ers now. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's to promote drinking, Jamie, it's to promote drinking. I, that's probably, I think that's a good thing. And I, I think that this, you know, that kind of whale culture of craft beer has, has been an interesting and pretty useful kind of, you know, portion of, of craft beer history. But, uh, you know, you, you see it now and I have plenty of beer nerd friends that are this way that have just deep, deep, deep cellars with hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of bottles and, you know, you get to a point where, as with anyone who hoards anything, it starts to, you know, like, choke you off. And it starts to be less fun. And it starts to be a burden rather than a joy. Um, and at that point, then you just, you see people flip to the opposite. And they go full on Marie Kondo. And just, you know, if it's not bringing you joy, just, you know, get rid of it. And so, you know, you're just get, giving these bottles away, trading these bottles. And so, you know, there's that kind of that, that stash and then the crash mentality that kind of comes with that hoarding. I do think you're right. It's probably a more interesting place for some of those beers are always going to exist. And I'm glad that they do exist. I'm glad that those beers exist out there that people want to collect and trade in the same way that there are collectible bourbon and whiskey bottles and they're collectible, uh, you know, wine, uh, wines that people will hold on to and, and treasure and, uh, and pull out for special occasions. But, uh, you know, they, hundreds upon hundreds of them for beer that's just not going to be that great. In, I'm one in of those beer years. geeks. I'm, you are. I, yeah. I, I, have, I have this, I have that cellar yeah. and I feel everybody's pain as far as like, when am I going to drink all these beers? And you're like, I don't know if I have time to get to them, you know? So, um, but when I look at them, do they still yeah. bring me joy? Yeah, this still brings me joy. So I keep them around. That's good. That's good. Uh, I got one more question for you, but uh, before we get into that question, uh, I'd like to express our sincere appreciation for the sponsors that made this episode possible. With BSG, you'll bring the world to your brew house. SS Brewtech is committed to advancing brewing equipment design, performance, and quality. For 25 years, G&D Chillers has led the way on custom innovative solutions. And craftbeer.com's mission is to tell the stories behind America's small and independent breweries. Um, before we go, Tell me what craft means to you. What does craft mean to me? What does craft mean to you? Oh my God, people ask me this all the time. Um, Seems like a good place to close. It really does. Uh, what craft brewing or craft itself? So, so to me, the, the idea of, to me behind craft brewing or is 
trying to uh, walking in the door every day to your to your brewery and trying to make better beer you know and and that is your you know your mo every single day is trying to make better beer um and so if if you're making a craft lager or if you're making a 20 percent belgian quad aged in rum barrels you know it's the same concept which is your passion is to walk through your doors of your brewery and to make better beer every single day and 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 never have never stop having that kind of uh you know drive and motivation to making it happen never letting your beer just become a widget um and i think that if you look at it as your beers are alive and they should always be they should be changing for the better um and if you take that kind of attitude then that's craft to me um yeah that's craft to me how has your approach to craft and now, you know, that's certainly not the necessarily the definition that some others in the market put out there for it. How do you find your place and, and make that argument for craft for Avery? Well, I mean, we live it every day. I mean, that is, you know, we beer first, you know, that's what we talk about. Beer first, the rest will follow. Um, we do that every single day. I'm lucky to walk through the doors and be surrounded by people who are trying to make the best beer they possibly can. And then we have a great tap room that's, you know, just not beer. It's beer experience as well. So, like, how can we educate our consumers and, and our fans when they come in here and give them the best experience possible? And then that education that our sales team is giving out, in, you know, in the, in, in, in the States, you know, talking about you know, how we make our beer. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, we, we could, we could spend a whole nother podcast talking about, you know, independent, this independent, you know, you know, what is craft and things like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, if we Let's just I, drink a beer instead. Well, I, I, <laughs> I think in the end, that's what everybody's going to do anyway. Yeah. 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 Adam Avery, thanks for joining me on the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. Jamie, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, uh, everyone's gearing up for CBC, and I'm sure you got a whole bunch of things going on next week, too. Um, hopefully, folks that are coming into town get to come up and, uh, and check out this uh, beautiful brewery that you've built up here in Boulder, Colorado. Well, open invitation to you know everybody that's listening. Uh, we'll have a, you know, a lot of brewers up here, so maybe you'll run into some famous people. Um, at the very least, you'll be able to drink some, some beers. Famous people, yeah, Ooh. maybe. <laughs> I'm, we might we might have some people here that might uh, surprise you. Well, all right. Well, all right. Cheers, Adam. Thanks, Thank you so much. All right. Cheers. Uh, catch us next week for another episode. Like I said, it's going to be a podcast takeover with uh, Neil Fisher and Corey King. Uh, if you enjoyed what you hear, or if you want to send me some feedback, uh, just send me an email: j b o g n e r at beerandbrewing.com. Um, you know, hope you subscribe, support our magazine. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.com.